Welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Well done. Are you sure? I think so. You're you guys are great. making me feel a little insecure. Oh, well, you, you know, when you stumble, you stumble big, but you don't do it very often. Was it because you saw me dancing this weekend? Are you looking at me in new light now? Because I, both of my Are you looking at me in a new light? You've never seen me dance like that I before. saw Dr. Matt yeah. cutting a rug, just yeah. dancing with his beautiful girlfriend, having the time of the life. What was crazy, so we'll just set the stage. My two worlds collided this weekend. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend threw me uh, a birthday party for my 50. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, we had probably about 175 people there. Mm-hmm. There was probably 25% in recovery. Uh, 25% were above 60 and 50% were just partying. Yep. <laughs> having a good time. Yeah, for sure. And at one point I stopped the party and I go, Hey everybody, I want to introduce you to my good friend, Dr. Matt Woolley. Uh, if you're looking for a good therapist, he's here for you. Also, he's looking for guests upcoming on our podcast. <laughs> so yeah. I had a t- bunch of people drop eye contact at that point. <laughs> they, yeah. And so it was fun. And yeah, we had a good time at one point in the party. The two most sober people in the whole party, mm-hmm. me and you, yep, <laughs> out there just dancing on the dance floor. Had a good time. Having a good time. Doing a little high-stepping, if you will. Oh, yeah. We uh, we did the B.I.G. dance. Yeah. You said, you said hey, if you'll play uh, Hypnotized by Biggie Smalls, me and Ashley are going to do a dance. <laughs> yeah, I was we like, did. <laughs> done. It was fun. And I looked back, and you guys had choreographed I, dance moves. Oh, yeah. 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 It looked like you were climbing ladders, doing yeah. grocery shopping. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. Did the whole thing. It was, it was awesome. Time. Ride the pony. So what did you think about that party? Uh, I th- I thought the one of the funnest people at the party was your mom. Oh, huh. Yeah. She was fun. We danced. We, she and I got down to the Bee Gees together doing a little hip bumping and stuff. She was, a, she was a blast. My mom is one of the most fun people to party with. And she has a beautiful smile. I mean, she was just smiling the whole time. She had a great time. She was so excited. She called me the next day. She goes, honey, I think I got sick. And I go, what happened? She goes, I think I kissed everybody in that room. <laughs> like, she kissed me. <laughs> she, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my mom. Yeah, there you go. And and, and, and my, my kids were there. And uh, it was one of those things that was surreal because five years ago, I never thought I'd have a celebration like that. And I didn't think that I would have all these people rallying me and championing me and being there for me. And uh, I mean, there was a a moment that I had to stop and just be amazed and grateful for all the things that recovery has brought me. Yeah, I I assumed you'd think that way over the weekend after the party because it was a real outpouring of, of your friends, your family, lots of support. And yeah, you know, five years ago, uh, if you it wasn't hadn't, looking so good, you hadn't got your life together. I don't know that we would have had a party like that. Well, I'll tell you right now, there would have been a party, but it would have been it would have been a sad thing. It would have been a funeral. Yeah. yeah, it would have been a celebration of life because yeah. I was going down that road. Yeah, and it was going to either take my life or I was going to get to where I am today and fighting for recovery every day. Well, I think that's what we say about addiction, right? You get out of it one of two ways: either you get sober or you die. And to have my dad there who shares the same sobriety date as me because he quit when I quit because he didn't want to ask me to do something he didn't think he could, to my little brother, to uh, my older brother, uh, he was out there dancing and having a great time. Your brothers are good dancers. Yeah. They're having a great time. Uh, Ryan and Yancey, I I love them with all my heart. And uh, Penny is Yancey's wife and my little brother and my dad. It was just, it was amazing. lovely Leslie was there. And, And she was so... She was fun. Yeah, she was dancing. I forget how tall she is. Yeah, she's pretty tall. Yeah, well, I'm not very tall, so it's not a, you know, but she's tall. She's, My license she's a good-looking is good-looking tall lady. 5'11". 
Yeah, and she's taller than me. Yeah, your license says five eleven. <laughs> yeah, let's let's be real. But she also had high heels on. Oh yeah, but I mean, uh, yeah, she's just she's good looking, tall lady. But it was also refreshing because I'll just let everybody know there was an open bar. It wasn't open, but there was a pay bar. There was a bar, yeah, and, and people were buying drinks, and I think it was refreshing. I like how you did that, though, because it wasn't in where the party was. I didn't want it to be in there. Yeah, and so, like, if people wanted to get a drink, they could go buy drinks, and a lot of people were drinking, but uh, that wasn't the focus of the party, and I I think that was nice. In in my world, I hang out with people who drink. In in, in the real world, people that drink, and I don't shun those people because they didn't have the problem. I had the problem, and so I don't want to feel like they can't have the party they want, Mm -hmm. and I'm the one that's going to be careful of my sobriety. Have you had people challenge you on that? Like, why are you still hanging around with people that drink? Why do you, why did you have alcohol at the party? Like, does anybody seem to question that decision? I had one person, uh, and it was Rob Eastman. Rob did? Yeah. And did, we, he sh- did he come to the party? No, he didn't come to the okay. party. We were at his house for a UFC fight uh-huh. and, uh, they asked my girlfriend, they go, do you drink? And she goes, yeah, but not that much. I've been with Leslie five years, mm-hmm. and I've maybe seen her drunk three times. Mm-hmm. She doesn't drink a lot. It, 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 it just not, she's not. She, yeah, if it's, it's there, cool. Thing. If it's yeah. not, it's, yeah. she doesn't find it. Uh, and they were like, and Rob pulled me aside and he goes, "You know, that's not going to end well." And I go, "Why?" He goes, "Well, you sit in a barbershop long enough, you get a haircut." <laughs> and I was like, "I don't even know what that means." <laughs> it's a very Eastman thing to say, though. you know. And 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 I go, "I'm not." I mean, Leslie believed in me when I didn't even believe in myself. She, for, a lot for those, of people don't know, you guys had only been out a few, I mean, you just barely started dating. A when, month and a half yeah. before I went into rehab. Yeah. And she stayed with me. She yeah. wasn't happy, but she stayed with me and she said, yeah. let's see where this goes. And I didn't have a license for the first two years. And she had a full-time job and she would pick me up and she would take me to my court appointments. She would take me for my drug testing yeah. and she would make sure that I got everywhere I needed to be. Yeah, And if you ask her, she'll tell you, she put 70,000 extra miles on her car that year and a half, taking me to and fro and wherever I needed to be, Yeah, you know, and we we didn't know where it was going to go. And probably about a year and a half ago, she moved in with me Mm -hmm. and we blended our families and I I love her children with all my heart, Tate and Addie. They're wonderful people. They were at the party and, 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 and they've never treated me different and they've always given me an opportunity to prove myself. They've never looked down on me and I'm very grateful for everybody in my life. And that's why when I was sitting in that room, with 175 people, I had personal connections with every one of those. And and those people are all a part of my story. Yeah. And I'm not going to shun anybody because they drink or they do this or that. That's not who I am. Right. You know, I, I, I look in your heart and I want to see what's there. And they've stepped up for me and showed up for me and done things for me that makes my life a possible. Possible. Yeah. No, you have some wonderful support. Uh, Leslie's wonderful and great family and you know, her and mom, I, and Laura was there. Yeah, yeah, I met her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was fun. She was dancing with us. <laughs> yeah, she was dancing. Yeah, she was a lot of fun. It was a great, it was Tiffany a great was experience. There, her sister, uh, Denny was there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I've got this extended family and I'm so blessed to have so many people around me that, you know, that, that, that lift me up. I, I would, the way I would look at it is, uh, you do what my dad used to say, and that is you should lead by example. And so if there's somebody in that group of your friends and family that is thinking about, uh, you know, quitting drinking or, or whatever it happens to be. Uh, I think your example is going to be more of a powerful thing to help them than your 
shunning them or judging them. That never works. And that always hurts relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Let me be a resource. You got questions. I'm a safe haven. Come talk to me. I'll never tell anybody else in the group. I'll never do anything. And I've had people reach out to me and ask me, how did you do it? Do you think I have a problem? And, 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 And kind of walked and had those uncomfortable conversations and been there for them. And I think a lot of people, well, I know a lot of people are, um, hesitant, even ashamed to ask someone else, like, do you think I have a problem? How do I know when I have a problem? I know that because they'll talk to me in therapy about it, but that's a safe place. But sometimes it's more powerful to talk to somebody who, you know, outside of a professional setting, a friend. And I think you do that. I know you do that for a lot of people. So my answer to that question is because I get it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I go, if you're asking the question, you know the answer. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. I mean, if you're, if, if you're, asking, if you're wondering, the answer's yes. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is it too late to save it? Or is it that I don't know. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking the question, then it's probably some sort of a problem in your life. Definitely. Hey, we've got an amazing show for you today. Uh, we've got a guest and uh, off air we've been talking. It seems like, Kyle, we know a lot of the same people. Pull that mic a little bit closer. Are you a biggity biggity old guy? I am. Oh, born and raised. There you go. And uh, how how much sobriety do you have under your belt right now? I'm uh, just about ten months this time. This time. Yeah. We're gonna find out where Kyle's story began in just a few seconds. You're listening to Project Recovery. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. Our guest today is uh, Ogdenite. Is that fair to say? Of course. Uh, once from once from Ogden, always from Ogden. I, I don't even think that's a saying. <laughs> it, it is, is now. now. <laughs> I like it. Uh, Kyle Rains. Where does the story of uh, young Kyle Rains begin? Uh, born and raised in Ogden, like I said. Um, I grew up in a household. Uh, my parents got divorced at a super young age. Um, I was kind of in the middle of four kids. An older brother, an older sister, and a little brother that's a year younger than me. Um, Religious household? Uh, kind of split. You know, my I, I was raised in uh, the predominant religion in, in Utah. Um, but when my parents got divorced, um, my dad wasn't religious. I think he still lives pretty close to the principles of it. But mm-hmm. never really pressed it. Neither did my mom, but we went to church when it was my mom's weekend um, up until about junior high. Um, and so it was never like forced on us, um, but that's what we did as a household growing up, up until, yeah, late late elementary, early junior high. Um, but pretty normal um, childhood, like no substance abuse, um, no abuse in the home. No addiction in the family. No addiction. Um, you know, I think in the in the long run, like some grandparents had drinking problems, but nothing like intermediate. Um, um, so let me ask you this: um, Growing up, pretty normal childhood. You play sports, pretty active, big friend group. Yeah, yeah. So I was active. Um, my dad was a college athlete, and so we were all pretty into sports. All of them: baseball, football, basketball. Um, all growing up and I kind of started working at a young age. So about junior high, I kind of got burned out on playing sports. Um, I was, I kind of realized at a young age, I probably wasn't going anywhere with it, you know, but which, which is kind of shocking because you're a beast of a man. Yeah. I'm a big feller, but how um, big are you? Six, four. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, I mean, that's the recipe for a football player. Yeah, or a I'm, I'm kind of the runt hitter. of the family to be honest. You're the, the runt. Yeah. I'm one of the smaller ones. 
Um, <laughs> but I just, I always liked working with my hands from a young age. And so I took on construction and kind of, kind of went with that. And I was like, we'll stop playing sports and start making money, you know, which I think became, it probably led me into a lot of my things because I was able to do a lot more than others, you know, you had because more cash. I had the means to it. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you tried drugs or alcohol? Um, yeah, I don't, I can't, I don't know if I can pinpoint like the exact moment, but the years, um, it was later on in junior high, eighth or ninth grade, um, started smoking weed a little bit, nothing big. Um, and then got into high school and kind of did all that, you know, smoked and drank on the weekends. Um, probably took it a little too far a lot of times. Um, and then I started dabbling in, uh, prescription meds. Um, I would say probably my sophomore year. Did um, you get into prescription meds because of an injury or did somebody just said, Hey, have you tried this? Um, I think it was a little mix of both. I had wit some wisdom teeth out. Um, but I don't know that I can pinpoint it to that. You I know, think it's, it's interesting you say that because I think for many, that is a lot of people's first experience oh, with yeah. prescription drugs. As I, cause I remember when I got my wisdom teeth pulled out you know, yep. they, I think they gave me like eight Oxycontins or something like that. Yeah, they used to, they used to load you up. And it, but it was never my jam, you know what I mean? I never really dug it. But I mean, I think for a lot of people, that is their first introduction into pain pills. Yeah, with my kids, I, I mean, maybe someday they'll tell the story about how mean their dad was. But when, they get the, when they've gotten their wisdom teeth out, um, I let it, obviously they can go home on the, whatever opiate they have. But then we just, we do Tylenol and ibuprofen after that because I don't, I don't want them to take the chance, you know? Were you like that with uh, other surgeries that they've had? Were you pretty adamant about? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless it's something that they really need that for, but even then I try to limit it. And I tell, I explain why. I mean, we have the conversation, you know, because you just never know if it's going to be your jam. If you get hooked by opiates, as as you know, it's gonna it's a tough road. It's a, that's kind of one of my sayings. It's a good time until it's all the time, you know, and that's... That's a fine line that you tread. Yeah. So so you, you started dabbling a little bit in prescription meds. Yeah, dabbling in that um, in high school. And we, we drank quite often, you know. I don't I don't know that it was a daily thing, but definitely a, every weekend we were somewhere in somebody's basement partying, you know. Um, but really no repercussions of it at that point. Like I think I might have – I think I got one alcohol ticket and got it dismissed. Um, An MIP? Yeah, Yep. It's a minor in possession. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a rite of passage for a lot of high school students. <laughs> I was trying to place that for a second. Yeah, I mean, MIP. Yeah, okay. I mean, I got one in college. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was kind of that. Um, some drastic things that happened in my life that I could probably go back and pinpoint. I don't know that I can put blame on it, but it definitely had, you know, some long-term effects. Um, when I was in seventh grade, my older brother passed away from cancer in uh, – that wrecked havoc on on our whole family, you know. Um. And you would, you would assume it would. But let me ask you this. Uh, your older brother passing away from cancer. Uh, was there any therapy? Was there any communication or any, like, help offered from the community to help you to get through that? Because I, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, so there – my parents had me. I, I think they – there was a couple things, but uh, – my parents had me in in counseling all kind of from that time through high school, and I was on uh, depression meds, you know, and would would flirt around with those, um, take them, and then go off of them because I didn't need it. And then my mom would notice a change in my moods, and I'd get back on them. 
Um, but that you, was was it kind of a sad depression. A lot of times, adolescent boys, it's sort of an irritable, angry depression. Um, I did go through some anger, like in junior high. You know, I was just ang- mad at the world. I did, you know, mad at God. Like, how could you do this to me, to my family? Um, and it's it's not till I really realized, you know, that um, God, I think God has a plan for everybody, and that just happened to be in our story, you know. Um, but it took me, you know, probably 10, 15 years to figure that out. I was going to say, that's a mature way of looking at it, that a teenage boy just, you know, you wouldn't have that maturity yet. Yeah, and almost to the, you know, not almost, it was like resentments, you know, toward toward a higher power. And it's just, you know, because I watched what it did um, just to all of us, you know, like it took my mom in a, in a different direction, um, not addiction-based, but definitely very depressed, um, you know, and my dad um, handled it different, but it, it was hard on all of us, you know, and um, that I, I had to learn how to cope. Like it, it was almost like I was different for some reason. I had a chip on my shoulder, like you don't know what I'm going through. And I think a lot of my anger at that time stemmed from that. You know, I fought a lot. Um, and then I kind of came to a point where nobody wanted to be around me. Nobody liked me. You know, I didn't have a, and I, it was, I don't know if it was conscious or unconscious decision, but I was like, I got to make some changes. You know what I mean? I can't be alone forever if this is the case. Like nobody likes me. Nobody wants to be around me, you know? And I <clears throat> kind of, i How always, old were you at that time? I was in junior high, seventh, eighth grade. Okay. It was right around right. the time he passed away. Um, and that, I think that's a typical way people of any age, but especially, you know, teenagers might handle grief like that. Right. Is to push people away and be angry and be irritable and unfun to be around. And and then it has that negative effect of you need support, but now you don't have it because you've kind of pushed people away so much. And right. It can get, you can get really dangerous for So teenagers. you mentioned there was a couple of things that you could look back after some hindsight, uh, losing your brother in seventh grade. Uh, what was another one that you can remember? Um... That was really the biggest, you know, defining moment. I always had like this, I don't know if it was aggravation or what, but like my parents divorce and it's not either of them, but almost a a feeling of neglect, even though I, you know, my, both my parents were very present all growing up. Like my dad lived in Salt Lake, but was still attentive to everything we did, you know, but it was still that separation. Um, Didn't have a man in the house kind of had to help my mom out and things like that. So I think that built an ego as well. You know, like I can, I can do this, I can do that. Um, which in some ways it paid off for me and some it didn't, you know, um, it's, it's hard to say, but that, that was a really defining moment in my life. Um, with my brother passing away, you know, how I grieved. Um, and then I think that was one of the, I'm not going to blame it on that, but I think that was one of the routes that took me down the addiction road is because I didn't have to feel, you know, that was, that was a way to camouflage my feelings and then also fit in, you know, like I had ruined a lot of friends, um, during my anger times and, you know, the parking lot crew's always accepting. Yeah. Your only currency is you're willing to try. Yeah. So flash forward to, you know, your, your senior year in high school, what does it look like for, uh, Kyle? Um, senior year in high school, I had a really good job. I was in construction. Um, kind of just wanted to get school out of the way and start working. You know, I, I actually probably missed more class than I went to. And I, I was literally at work, 
you know, so it was it was good that way. Um, drinking definitely picked up. Still using pain pills when I could get them, um, and kind of just went that route. You know, moved out, got my own place, um, kept the party life up, then started getting into the bar scene. And I'd sober up here and there, but not off. I would sober up from one thing and go to the other. You know, I'd stop drinking but go heavy on on pain meds, and then I'd go do vice versa, you know, just one clutch for the other. Um, and then, uh, I don't know what the defining moment was, but I had a conversation. One of the big ones is I was getting kicked off my parents' insurance. I was like 24 or something. And that was the first time I got introduced into AA and treatment. Um, I went to Ogden regional, did a 30 day program. Well, um, why, why, what, what brought you to there? You know, I th- I think it was just like seclusion. You know, I wasn't going around family, and they obviously knew what the reason was. And I always, you know, no, I'm fine. I I got a good job. I do. I pay my bills. I do this. I do that. I'm you checking know, all these boxes. Checking all the boxes, but then I'm avoiding anybody that means anything to me. You know, so it's throwing constant red flags. Um, and I don't I don't know at that time that I really realized that I had a problem. You know what I mean? I. It was one of those things where I was just going to check the box, like you know. Well, what a I lot mean? of people uh, will, won't consider it a problem when they are "quote unquote" functional, right? You know, I'm a functional addict, so they don't think of themselves as an addict because they're they're paying their bills, they're going to work, they're they're che- you know doing all the things they're supposed to do. But anytime you're not at work, you know, you're getting loaded. So your first part of your first time at treatment was more of a to show your family that you're okay rather than actually get help because you're like hey I went into this treatment thing and yeah I'm okay. Yeah, and I bought, you know, I bought in to save face, I guess you could say. You know, I I checked all the boxes and did all that. And you know, I I I think I stayed sober I don't know on a gracious note probably a couple months, you know, and then um it started out with smoking weed or you know, I, I think I can have a tall can tonight. Uh, you know, I'm not an addict. I can. That's a 24-ouncer. Ah, okay. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I, I that's how it started. And then um, that kind of leads you right down to the road to the same people you've been hanging around. You know, I, I can handle the tall can, and then soon enough I'm at the bar, and soon enough I'm a bottle deep, you know, and then it's a nightly occurrence, and then I run into the guy that I used to get pain meds from. And so then that whole thing starts again. Um what about working construction? Uh, I'm sure most people who work construction don't drink or use drugs, right? No, that's very mm-hmm. uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was par for the course, man. Like we worked, you know, we'd at five o'clock, we were going to get a 12 pack and we'll finish out the last three or four hours of the day with a couple beers. Tailgate it was just routine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, so that kind of continued on, um, you know, and I've always said, I, I, it's easy and hard to say, but I, I've I've come to the realization that I wished I would have went to jail earlier than I did. Because when the first time I went there... That's um, a weird thing to wish for. It was a rude awakening, though, you know? And like I was talking earlier, I think God works in mysterious ways. Um, and you, I don't think you're ready until you're ready. And that was one of the things that was a rude awakening. So what sent me. you to jail the first time? A DUI. And how old of a guy were you at that time? Uh, 32, 33... Mm-hmm. How old are you now? 36. So this is just three years ago. Yeah. So all through your 20s, uh, would you say you were just kind of running and gunning and trying to navigate it? Or? Oh, yeah. I was good at dodging bullets. 
You know what I Matrix. mean? I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how. Um, because I probably drove drunk more often than I drove sober. You know, or something with you know that could have got me in trouble. Um, but that was a really defining moment. And I'm not like an uppity, egotistical person, but I do enjoy nice things. I enjoy nice meals. I like steak. I like, you know what I mean? My freedoms. Um, and I, I realized real quick how fast that can be taken from you. Jay will so, teach that to you, right? Right. Yeah. And a DUI and having to check in and having to blow into your car and have to be accountable for somebody else. People don't understand the value that a license gives you and the freedom that it allows you to have until that's taken away. Yeah. I mean, I remember driving my daughter's bike to Smith's to get milk for the breakfast cereal. I remember walking to my kid's school to see them performing a play because I didn't have a car. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, we we, we do we take those things for granted and uh i mean it's it, it's tough and then all of a sudden that takes it away and, and 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 that kind of scared you yeah that was a big defining moment um but it didn't stop me you know isn't that crazy <laughs> it was i i i got it reduced you know what i mean and so i was like i'm off to the races again you know um check all the boxes again do what i'm supposed to do for the time being but i'm not an addict you know what i mean um I had a job, somewhere to go, you know what I mean? I, I kind of did, I had all that until I didn't. Let me ask you this. When did you realize you were an addict? Um, consciously, <laughs> I would say um, probably it, it was a root of, the first time I went to treatment, it, it started, you know, the, the seed was planted. Like I knew there was an issues, but I, I always had this. You're different um, than everybody else. I always had that. I, I can outsmart it. I can outthink it. <laughs> you know, Casey um, looks like you're relating to yeah. this I'm type not of like thinking. You guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's. I got a job. I got a house. I got a nice car. You know. Yeah. I always thought I could outsmart it, outthink it. Um, and it really took me. I can't remember who I heard it from, but. Um, it really resonated with me well once I dissected what it means is I got to lose the battle to win the war, you know, and that's once I, I grasped the meaning of that, it all started to click. I used to, uh, well, not used to, but this is one of the saddest statements that I've ever said in my life. I fought harder for alcohol to keep it in my life than I did for anything else. Yeah. I mean, that is how sad and how powerful that yeah. addiction is. Yeah. I mean, I was willing to lose everything. Especially since we just got done talking about all the people that showed up to celebrate your 50th. Yeah. And 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 when you say you fought harder for alcohol than anything else, that includes all those people, all your relationships. I mean, it is it is sad. It makes me sad. Yeah. It makes me it makes me sad. I mean, I've got three beautiful kids. I've got a wonderful girlfriend. I've got parents who love me. I've got a, a, a group of friends that... You do. That are amazing. You, have, you know what I mean? You do. And because of that damn drink, I was willing to give it all away. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how powerful addiction is. Yeah. And I don't, I think when you're in it, you don't realize it. No. You know, you're, it's, it's a weird game that you play that I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm functioning, you know, and, I'll get and about a tomorrow. lot of people can until you can't. We had a guest on the podcast, I think a couple of weeks ago. And one, some addicts will tell you that they lost everything. But this addict said it so beautifully. He I goes, gave it away. Yeah. He goes, I didn't lose it. I gave it away. Yeah. I slowly That's, gave it away. That is so true. You, you know, yeah. and you think you lost it. No, no. you didn't lose it. Yeah. You, you gave it away. All right. 
Yeah, and I think the most important principle out of that is when you lose something, you usually don't get it back. You know, um, but I think that's a cool thing about recovery is you gave it away and things that you give away, you can potentially earn back, you know, and I'm, I'm starting to see that come to fruition in my life today. So there's often a moment on the podcast uh, where addicts will talk us through their rock bottom. Uh, kind of the defining, the pivotal moment moment when things changed or they had the aha moment where it's like, I am done of this. I'm either sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm either going to die or I'm going to lose the battle to win the war. What did yours look like? So mine, um, it was a defining moment. You know, I, uh, I went to jail for a DUI. Um, this your second? Yep. Got out in... Uh, didn't have somewhere to go, didn't have a car, you know, um, and kind of went on the run, not from the law, but just shut my phone off. Like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go on a sick one, you know, um, and I'm not the most tech savvy person. And there's my, my mother and my girlfriend is a lot smarter with technology than me. And somehow you can track iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I go on one, um, and I'm in a hotel and, you know, I, I got pretty wasted in, uh, the next morning I was going outside and I see my girlfriend at the end of the hallway with two cops and my mother. Um, and she just starts crying. Like they found me. They didn't know if I was alive or dead, you know? And so they come down, um, and kind of walk the motions, um, in the cop, you know, honestly, they were trying to get me thrown back in jail because they knew I was safe there. Right. Like my mother could sleep at night. Um, my girlfriend and my daughter were, you know what I mean? I was okay. It's, it's funny, not funny, but it's that you say that, but we've had a lot of people on the podcast who said, who had, who loved, uh, loved ones of addicts. They said, that's the best sleep they got. And when, isn't that when their kids were incarcerated to know that, yeah. cause yeah. they knew they were safe. It's, it was, they were going to get that call late at night saying, Hey, come kick pick up your body or whatever. Right. And I think, you know, for the last couple of years, it was kind of like that. You know, they didn't want to answer the phone at after 10 o'clock at night because I didn't know. Um, but going back to that, so she comes in, the cop comes down, you know, and they're doing their drill, taking my name. And they're trying to get him to take me back to jail and they just couldn't find anything. Right. Like I didn't have any outstanding warrants. I wasn't in any trouble at that time. Like I'd processed, done my. But I was I was OK right then with the law. Um but the defining moment is the cops just ripping me up and down. Like, you need to get your shit together. You need to, you know, and I'm just like, I'm still probably half lit. Just like, whatever, you know. Um, but then we walk out into the parking lot. Um, and this was the defining moment. Um, my mother and my girlfriend was right there. And um, my girlfriend laid into me like I'd never been lit up before. You know, like my dad could do it. Um my, you know, it, it was just one of those, but the one thing that she said that resonated and that's when I think I fully surrendered is, um, she said, how are you going to do this <clears throat> to your family? Your brother didn't have a choice. You do, you know, and right there it was, <clears throat> that was a defining moment. You know, that's when, uh, you know, I have a two-year-old daughter and 
the conversation went into that, you know, like, a, you're going to do this to her too. Um, and I waited my whole life to be a dad, you know. Like, that's my greatest gift. Um, and after that, I, I went to detox and went into treatment again. And um, that kind of clicked for me. You know, that was that was my defining moment where I surrendered. Um, you know, like today I can, <clears throat> I can say I'm a dad in every aspect, you know, I'm, I'm loving, I'm supporting, um, she can come to me. I love her and I don't, as I raise her, I hope she always knows that. How well put that is from your girlfriend. Your brother didn't have a choice. You do. So what is your choice going to be? And you decide, I need some help. Yeah, just recovery. And, um, you know, at that point, like, my relationship was done. You know, it, it was iffy if I would ever see my kid again. Um, but that was kind of the mental battle that I had to go into treatment the last time with is um, either way I'm going to be okay, right? As long as I'm sober with or without her, um, Kyle's going to be okay because I couldn't, I couldn't, um, bet the farm on this relationship or that, you know, because what happens when I get out and it doesn't work mm -hmm. and I put all this work in and now I'm failed and I'm off to the races again. I knew that, you know, I, I, I played the tape through of what that looks like. Um, and so I think that was the biggest defining moment, um, of starting to like, actually you know walk the walk instead of talk the talk on it you know because i'd been i make a joke that you know i i got a frequent flyer cards to treatment facilities the next one's on them you know how many have you been to <laughs> like five four or five um but it was i was the problem you know what i mean like it, it all the other times it was my parents wanted me to go or i was trying to save a relationship or i was doing it for a job or Whatever it was, um, I always could point the finger, you know, and once I realized that what my part in it was and that I was the problem, it all started to click. You know, that's one of the things about an addict, and we get so good at uh, manipulating a conversation or a story or playing the blame game, and we can blame anything on anybody for every, every which way, but you want to go, but who was the one constant in this the whole time? <laughs> Right what, right. what what are the chances? What's the common denominator? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, and it's yeah. and it's me. So eventually it's that ownership of your actions and your disease and whatever it may be that you go, okay. Well, it's insight, you know, it's we can be told things a, a thousand times, but when you have real insight, it is like a light bulb moment, you know. You know, you see the meme with a with a light bulb above someone's head, but that's really how it feels. It's like you, you see it in a very different way. And I could tell that as you're telling that story and, and it's very emotional for you to, to recall what happened because it was such a powerful experience, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, like I can reflect now on that moment in the, in the point in time of it, I was madder than hell. You know, I wanted to yell at uh, my girlfriend, my mom, the cops, you know, I was mad at everybody. Um, but now I can remove my, the emotion from it. And that, that was probably the greatest blessing I've ever had in my life mm -hmm. was going to jail that night and coming out and having that chain of events happen, 
you know. Definitely. No, I was just going to say, when you went to treatment that time, with that new attitude, doing it for the right reasons for yourself, uh, what clicked in treatment for you that that time? Like, what what was there a, a method or an experience that you really realized this is going to help? For me? some people, it's the breathing. So for some people, like myself, it was the gyms. For some people, it's a certain process group where you are finally able to tell your story and work through some stuff. Like, I remember being in, uh, in treatment and saying things and thinking to myself, this is the first time I've ever said this out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, that I've been carrying around this guilt or this shame or this secret, you know, that, I, that I, I thought made me such a horrible person. And I say it for the first time and I look over and somebody's like, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. And you, th- you're, you don't feel alone anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, you know, this last time I went to Valley Camp, so you're kind of on your own there. Like there's not therapists like your traditional. It wasn't what I was used to. Um, and so... For once, I had to do the work. You know what I mean? I didn't have a, I mean, there is, you know, you're in there with 10 other guys, but you don't, you don't necessarily go through um, groups every single day like you do your, your regular treatment centers. And so I, this time had to put in the work, you know, Um, and it was very eye-opening. You know, it's, it's, I think it's four. 418 or 419 in the big book where acceptance is the answer to all my problems today, you know, and that was, that was a big defining moment reading those, like, like we were saying, I'm the problem, you know? So you do Valley camp. How long do you stay up there? Um, I, I stayed up there two months and, uh, worked on yourself and figured it out. And then, uh, you graduate from that program and decide to head back down to Ogden. Yeah. So I, uh, I had been, like I said, I'd been in a, a handful of recovery centers. Um, and one of my good buddies, um, childhood friend, family friends, um, he's, he's the founder of SOAR. Um, and so I had, I'd been in there when he opened it in 2010 and kind of come and went, you know. You're speaking and of I Dustin was, Hawkins. Yep. Yeah, Hawk's the man. Um, that whole program's honestly um, School amazing. of Addiction Recovery. Yeah, so I was in there before, you know, I'd, I, um, before I went to Valley Camp, I was in their IOP and just, just using it to my advantage, honestly, checking the box, you know. Um, but when I got out of Valley Camp, I went back into there, um, and I still go religiously. I'm, I'm there four days a week. I'm accountable. I coach people now. Um, teach you wear them. the hoodie. Got yeah. the hoodie on. Yeah, I got to support the home team. Um, and what's great about SOAR is not only does it give people a place safe and safe haven to go work out and learn about nutrition and that, it's a community of like-minded people that want the best for you. And they will hold you accountable, and they will bring you in, and they will motivate you, and they will, they will tell you straight. Yeah, yeah. You They're know, like there's... the parking lot crew of the recovery community. Yes, I like that, Dr. Everyone's Matt. welcome. It is, too. It's, you know, there's a there's a handful of us that are from the same neighborhoods that have known each other for 15 years that, you know, we might have not been using together, but we'd all been there at some point. And now, so we have a lot of common ground, you know, and now we get a, you yeah. know, that's what we get to do today. We get a, and, you know, we're all about service and helping others and, you know, that. Yeah, I you've been up early this callings. morning, right? Yeah. What were you doing this morning? Uh, just out plowing snow. You know, I'm yeah. I'm all about service wherever I wherever I can help. I've always been that that kind of person. 
Um, the difference today, now that I'm sober, is uh, you plow straight. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, but I, I the mo- the motives have changed. You know, I think when I was using, I was. I was always that phone call that people would take because I know I would show up, you know, but I would show up for the wrong reasons to yeah. like look What's at me. What's in it for me? Yeah, you but know, I pre- maybe he's not doing as bad as he is. He shows up and helps us out, you know, but that was part of my plan. Um, but, but now, now I do sober. it for the right reasons, yeah. you know. I, I try and do do stuff when people, you know, they're not expecting it or don't ask or don't have to know that it's me that's And, and I brought it. that up on purpose because that's one of my favorite things about people who are truly in recovery is – they they in, inevitably are involved in service. They, there's so much great service that happens in our communities uh, by people that y- you would never know are that they're in recovery. They're giving back, and and that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I'm I'm all about that. So, what does your life look like today? Um, you know, I don't think my life can get better. Honestly, it's not perfect, but it's a whole hell of a lot better than it was. Um, I live life on life's terms today. You know, I, I'm accountable today. I, I have a good job. I work, um, I'm a flooring salesman for Buckway Flooring and Design in Ogden. Um, and that's a great family. Yeah. Killer family that, you know, welcomed me with open arms. Um, and hopefully we can do big things, you know, um, they're great. They, you know, they know about my past and, uh, they're they, big, they're big fans they of the show. Me. I love Dan. I love Mikel. I love Clifton. I love them all. And uh, they're a big family with a big heart. Yeah. And uh, I, they're amazing people. And what does that mean for you, you know, to have somebody know your past, know your history, and still willing to give you a job? Um, I'm grateful. I'm thankful, you know. Um, a lot of gratitude. And it's it's something that I, I pay close attention to and help where I can. Um but yeah, so I do that. Um, I'm super active in the recovery community with SOAR. Um, still do quite a few meetings, um, sponsor some people, um, just give back where I can. And then um, I'm a dad. I have a little two-year-old girl. Uh, I've got to ask, did the relationship with the girlfriend work out? It did. Yeah. How amazing is that? So it's, yeah, it's, it's probably, you know, we've, she's been through it all with me. Um, you got yourself a ride or die and and bless her heart. Yeah. You know, like I had, you know, Jim, he's been on here too. Um, but we had a conversation years ago cause she, she's been through a couple with me. Um, and every time was the last time I'm not doing this again, you know, and that's, that's just something I'm not, uh, willing to gamble anymore. I love it. Well, I think your story is amazing. Dr. Matt, I mean, he's. Yeah, I love it. I love the energy. I love the I love the O-Town energy in the room today. Yeah, and we might have a new swearing record on the uh, podcast. No, nah, he's not even close. To Christian Smith? <laughs> yeah. The prophet? Yeah, Chris, <laughs> Christian preached. Yeah, he did. He took swearing to a whole new level. Yeah. I think I held all the F-bombs. Though. Yeah, you did yeah, pretty good yeah, on that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like I always say, you can take the kid out of Ogden, but you can't take Ogden out of the kid. <laughs> very, very true. No, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, just a wonderful story, and thank you for sharing uh, like uh, what you're doing these days and showing people that recovery is possible. And my takeaway from your story is, that, you know, when we realize, you know, the the beauty of the relationships in our lives and the choices we have to either make them better or wreck them, I, I hope that's a, a realization for somebody who's listening today as well. Yeah, you know, that's amazing. And um, 
that's one of the things I try and preach to like the newcomers. Um, you know, I'm not like a book thumper, but that whole big book, that, that entire book is on relationships. Yeah. How, however yeah. you want to boil it down, it's your relationship to others, how you treat others, your relationship with your higher power and your relationship with yourself. Yeah. You know? You know, and we've said it before, I'm not a huge 12-step guy, but I think if anybody would take uh, the time to read the 12-step book, oh, you're going to find some the amazing... The world would be a lot better place. You're going to find some amazing information in Whether there. Whether you're an addict or not, there's yes. there are good life lessons. It's applicable and to everybody. If you live by it, you're, you know, you're going to have a good life, yeah. Well, thank you for stopping by, Kyle Rains, uh, and sharing your story with us and wishing you nothing but success, success in the future and uh, wishing big things for you. Yeah, thank you. It was an honor. And thank you for, again, stopping by and listening to another episode of Project Recovery. We love you and we mean it. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is what? It's a KSL podcast. Kyle Rains. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk.